Thank you for tuning in to this edition of Kingsway Podcast from Pastor Sean. You are about to hear a brief message from a recent Sunday service. We consider it a privilege to be on a spiritual journey with you. So take a few moments with us and allow God to inspire you today. I have a question for you today. Are you ready for what God has for you? You are here today. And those who are here are not here by accident. You are not here by chance. God has you here for this moment in this place to hear what he needs to share with you. With that, I want to get your thinking caps on. This is going to be a thinking sermon. If you have notes, this is one of those sermons where we're going to get you to think about what God is saying and he's doing. I want to start with a riddle. Get your mind going with a riddle. Riddle me this. You know how riddles are. They say, you know, I am this, I am that, you know, I am this, what am I type thing. You know, in Jeopardy, I don't know if any of you are following Jeopardy right now. It's all over the news. Like this guy came out of nowhere apparently. He's won seven episodes in a row. He's got the highest winning for one show and he's on pace to be the highest winning Jeopardy contestant of all times. People say it's boring to watch because he just clicks, clicks, clicks like he, he knows the answer before they're going to say it. But in Jeopardy, you ask the question or you make the statement and you say, what is this thing? So I want to set up this riddle for you a second. Anybody know where God is today? God the Father. Anybody know where he is? Yeah, he's on the throne. He's in heaven. Absolutely. Jesus is in your heart, but God's Father is in heaven. Who created heaven? God did. Who's in heaven with him? Yeah, the angels, Jesus, all the saints who've given their heart over to Jesus Christ are in heaven with him. What else is in heaven? Well, you can read the Bible, and I've shared with revelations. There's lots of cool things like rivers of diamonds and, and mystical creatures. What about man-made structures like our buildings? Are they in heaven? Our cars, are they in heaven? Our golf clubs, are they in heaven? The riddle today is it's the one man-made thing in heaven. What is it? It's a little Bible trivia. You can think about it. And as we go through this message, hopefully it will become more and more clear to you. Okay, so now I need to introduce you to somebody here. We'll put him on the screen. It's a lion, yes. This guy's name here is actually Taka. Now you may know Taka. If you have children, you probably do know Taka. Taka is actually the villain in the Disney blockbuster, The Lion King. You know, Disney's redoing all their shows in real life actors, not animation. I can't wait to do Lion King this way. I can't imagine. This guy in The Lion King is actually named, renamed Scar. And as with many evil villains, they have scars, which I can only assume is supposed to mean they have a dark past, a violent one, a challenging history that led to these vicious physical markers that made them the anti-hero they are in this story. In this case, Scar got his wound and ultimately his name from an event where he tried to trick his brother. And in the end, the evil plan went awry, off course, and he found himself in grave danger. In turn, he was marred 
for life, further deepening his hate and vengeance on his brother and his family. So are scars bad? Are they evil? Are they memories that should be forgotten? Are they physical markers that should be hid, ashamed of? Often this is the case in the movies that we watch. But we all have scars, do we not? From the bumps and bruises of our childhood to long, jagged slices from our surgeries. Some are worse than others, and the real bad scars, well, they can be considered ugly, embarrassing. And sometimes, when looked upon, are called a deformity. And those are just the visible ones. They're the unseen scars, the countless inner wounds, the griefs that never quite heal, the wrongs that can never be righted, memories that cannot be erased, hurtful words or betrayals that seem to have a direct line to our tears and that reoccurring knot in our stomach. We are all scarred in one way or another. In fact, you can't get through life without scars inside or out. Scars are a part of who we are. I have many scars. In my lip right here, I have a mustache, you can't see it. My sister's not here. But my sister and I, when we were teenagers living in the house, you know, we went at it. I wanted to make sure she was tough. She wanted to make sure I was. This particular fight we got into, she considered it to be unfair. So she introduced a metal trash can. I lost. I got the scar to prove it. I have scars in my head, under my beard, on my neck. Reminders of a tragic accident where I almost lost my life. Paralyzed, they told me. Scars from traction, from surgery, the pain of a past. My stomach has scars. From high school, I suffered from a disease called Crohn's and had to undergo surgeries just to be able to carry on day for day. My scars are hidden. When I look at them, I'm often reminded of how I got to this place right here, right now. My children, they're little, and they all have scars, the big one all the way down to the little one. The boys don't mind them so much, but Madison, Madison has scars. She's... She's a little bit, now, nah, she's repulsed by them. She's upset that she has any of them. This weekend in her lacrosse game, she got some new scars. I'm proud of them. Why? Why would a dad say that? Because I've seen the toughness. I've seen the resilience. I've seen the vigor in her life. I saw how she got them. It's part of who she is. It's part of who she's becoming. There's another important figure in my life who has scars. I love sharing this video. If you weren't here for Easter, I'm sharing it again. This is a tomb, a dead man's grave where a giant rock was in front of it. 
No one could move the rock, not as an individual, so God removed the rock on the third day. In this dead man's grave was supposed to be dead man clothes on a dead man's bed with a dead man in it. But that's not what we find on Easter Sunday, is it? There's no man in those clothes. There's no man on that bed. But there is a man in that grave. And he ain't dead. That man is named Jesus. God resurrected this man. And he woke up with some work to do. And this time he says rise up because he wants to use a little of you and a little of me. That's a man on a mission. That's a man who could save a world. That's a man. And pause it. With some scars. Now, figure this out for me. The resurrected Son of God. Restored in every way. But he's left with these scars. The Bible says we get heavenly bodies when we die. Clearly Jesus had a heavenly body. He didn't come back with blood all over him. He didn't come out with his entrails hanging out. He didn't come back dirty. He was all cleaned up. This depiction has him without clothes. I'm sure he found some on the way. But he had his scars. One could argue, what's going on here? Uh, Father God, did you forget something? You missed a spot. You made me perfect. But, but what about these holes? And the Bible says the holes were in his hands. The holes were in his feet. And the hole was in his side where they pierced him. Maybe, maybe Jesus Christ asked to keep these scars. Maybe, just maybe, Jesus Christ was proud to bear these scars. Before we talk about the more obvious reasons why most think Jesus was resurrected with scars, I want to go back, way back, into Jewish history. I want to go to the beginning and look at a possible story that God was using to foretell Jesus Christ. This story is in Exodus. Now, this is the part of the sermon where if you're tired, you generally just doze off. He's about to teach a history lesson. It's probably going to be boring. I'll pick it up at the end during the good parts. You're right. The end is going to be a good part. But you're going to miss it if you don't pay attention to where we're about to go. You see... The Jewish people have a long and storied history. I'm still learning about it. One of the biggest moments in their history was being held captive as an entire nation to the Egyptians. And the Egyptians had them in slavery. They beat them down. They binded them. They put them in chains. They made them do manual labor. They, they scourged them. They pierced them. They withheld food at times. They were brutal to the Jewish people. And the Jewish people, in turn, would build their monuments and temples and towns, take care of their families. The Jewish people wanted to escape Egypt 
God removed them from Egypt. God split the Red Sea, put the Jewish people in the middle of the wilderness, head into the promised land. In fact, God wiped out most of the Egyptians on their way to chase the Jewish people. So here the Jewish people are. They're walking around the wilderness looking for the promised land. God begins to speak to them. God gives them the Ten Commandments. God starts instructing them with how to conduct their lives. He teaches them about priesthood. God teaches them about how to build altars. And then there's this interesting little passage in Exodus chapter 21. I'm going to read it to you. You see, this is interesting because right here in the Bible, it talks about the treatment of slaves because the Jewish people wanted to have slaves. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? You just came out of slavery. Why would you ever want to put somebody else in slavery? Let me be very clear before I even read this scripture. The Bible does not encourage or endorse slavery in any way, shape, or form. The word is translated that way, but it was meant to be an indentured servitude. It was meant to be a punishment for a situation, crime. If you were a thief, if you committed one of these crimes, your punishment would to be a servant to the person you committed the crime to. If you were in debt to that person and couldn't pay that person off, you were indebted to them, you became a servant for them for a period of time. That's what this is about. The Bible then proceeds to talk about treating people as human beings and not as property, even in this particular case. And it goes on to make a very important distinction, and I want to read it to you. Exodus chapter 21. If you buy a Hebrew slave, he may serve for no more than six years. Set him free in the seventh year. He will owe you nothing for his freedom. If he was single when he became your slave, he shall leave single. If he was married before he became a slave, then his wife must be freed with him. If the master gave him a wife while he was a slave and they had sons or daughters, then only the man will be free on the seventh year. But his wife and children will still belong to the master. But the slave may declare, I love my master. I love my wife. I love my children. I don't want to go out free. If he does this, the master will present him before God. Then the master must take him to the door or doorpost and publicly pierce his ear with an awl. And after that, the slave will serve his master for life. Heavenly Father, Lord God, Father, make the scriptures come real to us. Make us understand, Father, why this stuff is in there. Make us understand what you're trying to teach us. Make us understand the glory of Jesus Christ in the whole text, Father God. Make us see it through your eyes, not ours. In Jesus' name I pray. And the church says, amen, amen and amen. So as I was reading this, I was confused, so I had to go searching. And I had to go searching for somebody who could understand and explain to me how this has to do with what Jesus Christ means to you and to me. And so Pastor Joseph Prince, he turned me on to this. He said, when a Hebrew servant has served his master for six years, he is free to leave on the seventh. If he is married with children because his master has given him a wife, he cannot bring his wife and his children along when he leaves. His wife and children will belong to the master. That was the law. But if the servant says, I do not want to go out free, even though it is my right to do so, I want to stay because I love my master, my wife, my children, the master will bring him to the judges of Israel and before God, the master will take a sharp instrument and he will pierce the servant's body. 
and this will be done at a doorpost. His blood will be shed, hmm. and some of the blood will be left on the wooden post. Hmm. From then on, the servant will have a hole in his body, in his ear, and something will be put there to keep the hole open. This is where we get earrings from. And if you've been in Pentecostal for any period of time, you'll know that they had a problem with earrings way back then because they thought it had something to do with slavery. They're right. Here's the scripture. Was it misunderstood? More than likely. Let's keep reading. From then on, the servant would have a hole in his body and something would be put there to keep the hole open. His pierced ear serves as a sign to others that he is now a servant by choice. He could have gone out free. He could have left, but he chose to stay because he loves his master, his wife, and his children. And he will be with them forever. Now, do you think that a Hebrew servant would give up the chance to be free after six years of service? Perhaps. But I do not think that if he would do that, the first thing he would say is, I love my master first. Before expressing his love for his wife and his children. Obviously, God had something in mind here. The Holy Spirit had someone in mind when he mentioned this law. Who do you think this person is that would serve, allow his body to be pierced, his blood to be put on wood, and then he would say, I love my master, my wife, and my children. I do not want to go out free. Jesus. It's Jesus, of course. Doesn't the Old Testament law become so much more beautiful when we see it in light of Jesus? Jesus, the perfect servant, did not choose to go out free. He didn't call down 10,000 angels. He didn't destroy all the officers and the police and the politicians. He didn't take them all out and rise himself up into heaven. He could have. The Father would have received him. He asked for a moment, may this cup pass before me, but he chose to not go out free. He chose the Father first. May your will be done here on earth. He chose his bride, his wife, who the Bible says is his church, and his children, who the Bible says is you and me. Because of that, he was later scourged and pierced by a crown of thorns, nails in his hands and feet, and a Roman soldier in his side. He remains a servant forever by choice. Yeah, yeah, God is glorious. Yes, his resurrection was divine. But when he was resurrected, he was resurrected a man with affections and feelings like you and I. And that is why he knows how you feel. And he wants to serve you. So if you are sick today, if you are hurting in your mind, in your body, if you are hurting Jesus Christ asks you today to pray to him and say, Lord, I need your service. That too moves his heart, just like it did on the cross, serving you and me. Jesus Christ, he himself said, I did not come to be served. I came to serve. He then said, your feet must be clean and not just some spiritual ritual, but I must clean your feet. If I don't, you have no part. Hopefully, you're getting the picture of Jesus Christ as a servant. Pastor Bill likes to say, servants that lead 
or leaders that serve. I don't know if there were any Hebrew servants who chose not to go out free in the Bible. Let's suppose there was one. And let's suppose, let's imagine that after he and his wife had fallen asleep in their home, his wife wakes up in the middle of the night. She rolls over and she looks at her husband and remembers that years ago, he could have gone out free, leaving her and their children behind, but he chose not to. And just then, as he was sleeping, right there beside her, she sees his pierced ear, a symbol of his love for her forever. My friends, in heaven one day, we will wake up and we will see Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And we will see his wounds and we will remember that he did not have to stick around to be pierced for us, to be punished for our sins, but he chose to because he loves you, he loves me, and his scars prove it. I believe Jesus was proud of them, them scars. Let's take a look, if you will, to the book of John, the gospel of John. So this is the story of Jesus Christ being crucified, being put in the tomb, the stone rolling away, just as we saw the video. Jesus Christ comes out. Now, the moment he comes out, we don't know about. That's imagined. What we do know is that Mary, she comes running to the tomb, and she finds the tomb opened. Some angels talk to her. She's a little freaked out. She's dismayed. In the book of John, chapter 20, you actually see that she encounters Jesus Christ. Don't even recognize him. She's... She's going to the tomb to see Jesus. She's a mess. She's a wreck. She's dismayed. She's now afraid. She sees Jesus. Doesn't even recognize him. Doesn't. He speaks to her. Doesn't even recognize Doesn't this speak to all of us? When we are in trouble, when we are troubled, when we are in trials, when we are dismayed, we go looking for God and we only want to see the version of him that we want. And when he presents himself to us, often we don't even recognize him. Eventually she figures out that it's Jesus and she says, go back and tell the rest of the disciples, go back and tell them that I have been resurrected. You know the story, she runs back. It was Sunday. That's where we enter verse 19. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting. She went back and told them, you know, this is the first, the first Sunday church service. The Jews celebrated their Sabbath on Saturday. And so this was the first service where a bunch of Christians were in a room praying their hearts out. I don't think they were giving glory to God. I think they were scared to death. Why? Because it says they were afraid. Now look, Mary already told him early in the day, Jesus is resurrected. They're still in a room with the door locked, afraid. Does sound like the Christians you know? Yes. Sounds like all the Christians I know. The Sunday evening, disciples were meeting behind a locked door because they were afraid of the other Jewish leaders. Maybe thinking they're going to come get them to kill them. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Pause. How does Jesus get into a fully locked room with a bunch of men in it? 
right? This is a miracle that we rarely talk about. They're in there praying, and poof, Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about a disembodied, ghostly Jesus Christ. I'm talking about the real deal, man, son of man, son of God, boom, human being standing there. Does that shock them? Does that get the reaction that he's looking for? Does that prove to them that he is Jesus Christ? Nope. He then says, peace be with you. He speaks. The ghost that had come out of nowhere is not of my imagination. He's speaking a traditional Jewish greeting. Peace be with you. Does that do the trick? Nope. As he spoke, he then showed them his wounds in his hands and his side, and they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. When he showed them the wounds, when he showed them the side, they started to realize this is not a God. This is the man that I just spent the last year with. This is the son of God. He is with me. This is not some supernatural spirit. This is humanity standing before me, willing to pay the price by the pain and suffering that went on in his body. And here he is saying he was resurrected and now he's standing before me. Wow, I can get down with this guy. Because if God came in any other fashion, they wouldn't relate. They were in pain. They were suffering. They were grieving for this man. And now he's standing there and I am he. So much to say, but I got to go on to the good parts. Verse 24, one of the 12 disciples, there were 12 of them, named Thomas, was not with the others when Jesus came. I wish we could tell this story to every Christian who doesn't come to church on Sunday. Bishop Abel, I say you use this every time. You don't see somebody on Sunday. Say, do you know what happens when you miss church on Sunday? Jesus shows up and you miss him. Thomas was invited, more than likely, because he was a disciple, to the first church service ever, and he skipped it. I got something to do. I don't know. Maybe he was scared. I don't want to be with them. I don't want to associate with the weirdos. Maybe he was like, um, you know, I don't believe in this stuff anymore, so I'm out. I don't know. It doesn't say, but what it does say is he wasn't there. When you miss church, you miss the opportunity to be in God's presence. Let's see what Thomas says. I don't believe you. It says they told him in verse 25, we have seen the Lord. Crazy talk. What you're saying? I don't believe you. He's skeptical. Right? He's, I don't know, he's, he's somewhat outlandish here. I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands. Unless I put my own finger right up inside them. Place my hand on his, you know what he's doing. He's being sarcastic. Like, you crazy people, I won't see it unless I believe it. How many of you heard somebody say this before? Okay, just to back up a second, I can't help myself. All the disciples probably felt the same way. Jesus presented himself out of nowhere right in front of them. They saw him. Did they believe it? No. You guys say you'll believe it when you see it, but Jesus showed them the wounds, and then, oh, something happened. Right here. It says, eight days later, they counted that day as one. Eight days later, this means the next church service a week later, just like we do it here. Thomas says, eh, I'll go. 
maybe there's something going on at that church that I should find out about myself so I can Facebook and blog about and tell everybody. Maybe. So he shows up. Eight days later, the doors were locked. Sound familiar? But suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing there among them. Before I say anything else, I need to remind each and every one of you who knows who Jesus Christ is today, who struggles with sharing your faith. I've told you it's the most important gift you have, the ability to share your faith with one another. Is it easy? No. But when you share your faith, something amazing happens. Jesus Christ came on that Sunday morning to accomplish all he did. One guy was missing. Jesus showed back up. He showed up to convince a doubting Thomas. Jesus came back out of heaven. How do I know he was in heaven? He told Mary, I'm going to heaven. He came back. Came back. For Thomas, the sarcastic, the skeptical, the outlandish punk, effectively, he came back for him. When you share the gospel, Jesus Christ shows up, and he'll do it for every doubting Thomas you know. Don't think you're going to lock yourself in a room and he's going to mystically appear and that's going to make the doubting Thomas believe. It didn't back then and it won't right now. But Jesus Christ did something else. When he came, he saw Thomas. He said, peace be with you. It didn't work. Same thing. Third time's a charm. Then he said to Thomas, okay, put your fingers right here. How is this not proud of your, of your, of your scars? I mean, this, Oh, he's like a ready guy. i just been through war. Look at me. I, I got through it. I got the t-shirt. Put him right here. Stick him in. Put him in my feet. Put it on my side. Is that what you want to do, Doubting Thomas? Feel free and do it. He says, but then don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Thomas, of course, then does believe. And I, I got so much to say, but I can't help it right now. I can't. I, I, I got to share this thought. The Lord just gave it to me. Thomas then believes, and all the disciples believe. All the disciples left this moment here. Go to the upper room, get filled with the Holy Spirit, start the first church, evangelize all over the world, some of the greatest Christians ever known. And you know what happened to all of them? They were persecuted for their faith. Some of them were beat down and killed because they believed in Jesus Christ. Yet we think Christianity is easy. These guys saw Jesus Christ. They, they saw his wounds. They were there, and they were persecuted for their faith. Why not us? That's a message for a different story. Jesus Christ came to prove to the doubting Thomas, but he did it through his scars. He did it through his wounds. And Jesus wants you today to use your scars, your wounds, your story that he's painting, your faithfulness in him to heal you, restore you, move you from that place to this place, to share with one another. Why? Why does he want you to do that? He wants you to do that because Jesus Christ didn't show up that day as some mystical, fake imitation God. He showed up as the real deal. The real Jesus Christ proved it with his scars. And when you're sharing your faith with one another, you prove to them you are a real human being, not some fake Christian. You're one that goes through real life with real troubles, real trials, and God meets you right there. Are you following me today? I got to go back. I got to go back to this part here. Yeah, here it is. The doors were locked. Jesus then presents himself. He says, peace be with you. In verse 20 of chapter 20, it says, as he spoke, 
He showed them the wounds in his hands, his feet, and his side. And then they were filled with joy. The disciples, in another translation, were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Let this settle in for a second. Came down, presented himself, no joy. He said, peace be with you, no joy. He showed them the wounds, joy. No wounds, no joy. How many of you got wounds? How many of you got scars? How many of you got something you wish you didn't have to go through? How many of you wish your history wasn't the way it was? Your history is that way, and I tell you, it has been healed. There are scars there, and God intends to use them. Your joy? Yes. Someone else's joy? You better believe it. No wounds, no joy. I'm thankful for this pastor, Pastor Leonard Z. He published something on the internet that Pastor Sean could read, and I think it's phenomenal, so I want to read a little bit of it here. He says, I think Jesus showed his wounds as a badge of identity. He is the risen Lord who conquered death. He is also the risen Savior who entered the depths of human pain and human sin. He displayed the marks that proved his finished work. He showed the disciples what that work cost. The risen Christ has scars. Being raised from the dead did not erase them. The scars from Good Friday were visible on Easter Sunday. You see, some people have this idea that if you're a real Christian, you'll always have a sense of joy and peace within your heart because Christ is risen. I'm told of one such man who carried a wooden smile all the way through his teenage daughter's funeral. Christ is risen after all. But this man forgot about the wounds. His younger daughter watched him and never quite forgave him for his failure to share in their collective wounds. You see, life isn't always sweet and lovely for Christians. We feel great pain and sadness. Our depression, our anxiety, it's not automatically lifted. The painful events of our past aren't just erased. Life's absurdity drives us at times to doubt. The church is often a messy place populated with broken and flawed people. Yes, we experience great joy and deep faith and healing, and we know that we can experience God's love, but we must bear the scars like any other human. And so did our risen Christ. John tells us that Jesus showed the disciples his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. It was as though the wounds somehow opened them up to joy. No wounds, no joy. Why would the disciples be so glad to see these wounds? When Jesus showed them his wounds, it meant they could remember the pain, the pain they all experienced the last few days, the fear, the tears of remorse, the terrible hours watching him die, their emptiness, their loneliness, their hopelessness, it was all there in those wounds. In his wounds, they were free to probe their own wounds. 
Now they could remember. Now they could rejoice. It's the same reason we need to ask people who are grieving, how is it going? Or ask or say something about the one they're grieving for. It gives them the freedom to remember, the freedom to perhaps weep, the kind of weeping that releases and cleanses. Church, your wounds make your testimony more effective. Somebody wants to know, what in the world did I go through this for? Jesus Christ is laying it out. There is someone out there who needs a real human being to tell them about Jesus Christ. God knew it, so he sent us one. His name was Jesus. God knows about that person in your life. He sent them one too. It's you. What is the eternal purpose for your scars? I asked you a riddle. I started the whole sermon off with a riddle. It's the one man-made thing in heaven. You see, in heaven, there are no man-made buildings. There are no man-made real estate. There's no man-made money. There's no man-made pain. There's no man-made sin. God wouldn't have it. He doesn't need anything from us. He is the creator. So why in the world would he have anything man-made in heaven? It doesn't make any sense. He is God. Why would he do that? Why would he agree to have something that we produced in heaven? His man-made thing, church, you have figured out by now, are these very scars. Jesus Christ wants you and I to know today that he will not forget you and me, and we will not forget who he is. How do I know they're in heaven? Well, he told Mary, I'm going, and when he came back, he still had the scars. Eight days later, he came back for Thomas, still had the scars. Now, his glorious ascension was after that. You could say, well, he didn't have the scars then again. Really? Because you go look in Revelations, and when John peeped on the glorious God and all the creation that God had in heaven, he said, that's the, fall, that's the risen Savior. How do I know that's the risen Savior? Look at his holes. Today, the only man-made thing in heaven are those scars in his hands, sides, and feet. They will remain forever as a sign of his love for us. And when we see them, we will be reminded of how much he loves us. He did not have to. He chose to. They are a reminder of how much he loves us. And for us to see that, he loves his bride. He loves his children. And that choice allows us to experience grace, a relationship with our creator, and empowers us to be divinely healed. You know, the Bible says by his stripes, we are healed. It says he heals the brokenhearted and he binds up our wounds. He leaves scars, church. That's the God we have and he wants to use them. I could preach and preach and preach about this. So many things to talk about in here. And I could close right now. But I have a couple minutes, and for some of you, I have your attention. Would you like me to continue? So I was fascinated 
by this passage in Exodus about how he used Hebrew servants to explain how Jesus Christ would be our ultimate servant, how his blood would be on the wooden post, how he would be pierced for our transgressions, how we didn't have to go through it, but he did anyway. So then I go back and I'm studying all that. And I'm saying, is there anything else way back when that could point to what you're doing here, Jesus Christ? Did you lay it all out at the beginning? I just never saw it. I'm not talking about prophecies of Jesus Christ. I'm talking about laws, prayers, situations that God laid out that if you would really dig in, you could see it. Oh, there is more. And when I was digging, I found it. You see, the finished work that I'm talking about required a price. There's always a price to pay. The servant's seven years. Jesus gave us one. The price he paid was on the cross. He felt this pain as a man. Jesus definitely felt the physical pain, the scourging, the thorns, the nails. But his greatest suffering, as I mentioned, his greatest suffering wasn't the physical pain. It was the separation from the Father. At the cross, he cried, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? God turned his back on Jesus Christ. At that time when Jesus needed his father the most, his father had to turn his back on him. You know why? I could talk about the theology of sin in a whole nother hour. I'm not. Because it's very simple. If God did not turn his back on Jesus Christ, he would have to turn his back on you and me. He's not going to turn his back on you and me. But church, we have scars. Lots of scars. Well, pastor, doesn't Jesus wipe away our sin? Doesn't God forget it? Yeah, yeah, it's true. Doesn't mean he doesn't see, he doesn't know, he doesn't feel our scars. And there is no way... I can, with words, express to you what this means. So I searched again, and I found this story. It's a famous surgeon. His name is Richard Selzer. You can look him up. He has an extraordinary gift for surgery and an even more extraordinary gift for putting his work into everyday words. He describes this encounter. I stand by a bed. where a young woman lies. Her face is post-operative. Her mouth is twisted and palsy, clownish. A tiny twig of the facial nerve, the one to the muscles of her mouth, had been severed. She will be thus from now on. The surgeon followed with religious fervor, the curve of her flesh. That is certain. Nevertheless, to remove the tumor in the cheek, the little nerve had to be cut. Her young husband was in the room. He's at the opposite side of the bed, and together they seem to dwell in the evening lamplight, isolated from me, private. The young woman whispers, will my mouth always be like this? Yes, I say, it will. 
is because the nerve was cut. She nods and is again silent. The young man smiles. I like it, he says. You are always beautiful to me. All at once, I know who he is. I understand and I lower my gaze. One is not so bold in an encounter with God. Unmindful, he bends to kiss her crooked mouth. And I am so close, I can see how he twists his own lips to accommodate to hers, to show her that her kiss still works. Church, Jesus Christ took your place so that you could take his, a place where God is always smiling on you. We at Kingsway hope you enjoyed this message from Pastor Sean. It was not by chance you listened to it. God is speaking to you. If you would like to listen to the complete message, visit kingswaycc.org to find the full sermon podcast. We pray today that this somehow inspired you to draw closer to God and to connect with His people, His purpose, and His power. God bless you.